Welcome to the Playmaker Podcast, a podcast for people who want to sell differently. Playmakers wage war against traditional sales and win. Remember, success is just one play away. Welcome, everybody, to the Playmaker Podcast. You got your host, Gabe Larson. We got a special guest, uh, Mr. Uh, Jason Krieger. Jason, how the heck are you? Good, Gabe. How are you? Oh, well, this is a fun one, man. Not all, I mean, sometimes I say that I do, uh, I've known these people for a while. Usually I'm lying about that. I mean, that was most of the guests I, uh, I've like interacted with once or twice, but. Jason and I do actually go way back to like 2011. Um, we both, Jason, did you start a Gallup before? I think we were in the same. Were we in the same? Uh, what did they call that boot camp? No. Yeah, I think I was there a little before you. Maybe about a year, six months to a year. Oh, was it that long? Yeah, because I'm thinking about like my cohort. I'm like, Tagus was in there, and uh, I can't really. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we did, we did then, we did. You're right, uh, but I think you joined late, right? You came in the second session or something like that's that. That's right, that's right. Oh, that's correct because yeah. it was the second part of the course. So, yeah, you yeah. guys probably don't want to hear the bore, boring part of that. But um, <laughs> uh, Jason and I both worked at Gallup. Um, we did some training together in Omaha. He was out of the Chicago office. I shipped off and went overseas for a couple of years, but we stayed in touch, especially as I've come over to Inside Sales. He jumped to American Express and is now the Senior Director of Sales at C2FO. Um, and it's been fun to kind of exchange notes as Jason has really become kind of a specialist at closing big deals. And we're always looking for playmakers who know how to work with whales. So before we jump into the conversation, Jason, I'd love to just hear uh, for the audience uh, a little bit more about yourself and some of the cool things you're doing over there at C2FO. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, a little bit about me. Uh, live in Madison, Wisconsin. Not a uh, not from here originally, but a transplant. My wife is from here, and you know how that goes. Um, but love the Badgers. Um, uh, you know, started my career actually with a company called Cintas, a management training program, kind of sales and service management. And then I yes. uh, went and got a two-year MBA, um, came out of that and joined Gallup with you, right? And then, um, uh, you know, worked, kind of wanted to get into more of the, you know, financial aspect of companies versus kind of the HR and consumer insights. And so I uh, went over to American Express, uh, where I was working on kind of global uh, business development, which you know essentially is right the world's largest companies and how we help them from a payments perspective. And then recently joined uh, C2FO, which is a uh, really dynamic company in the fintech space, uh, helping organizations of all size globally uh, unlock uh, the working capital that sits in supply chains. Um, so happy to be here today and talk about right this uh, this topic of kind of large deal selling. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's such a it's such an important topic and one that I think everybody you know is especially in our world of tech um as much as we love, you know, playing in the SMB world, sometimes those those companies turn over, sometimes those people turn over and so there's always a question about how do I get bigger deals? How do I get these whales? And we'll talk about that in a minute, but I got to put you on the spot. Outside of work, outside of Madison, Wisconsin, outside of the Badgers, uh, anything uh, you love to do, any hobbies, anything unique to yourself, anything embarrassing? Uh, nothing embarrassing. I'd say unique to me. I've lived in um, five different countries, uh, grew up in Asia, uh, did some work in Europe, um, and obviously, you know, here in the U.S. 
Uh, so definitely, definitely some global travel. Uh, I don't know if I knew uh, that. Where's uh, where, where's your favorite place out of all the places you've been? What's what, what do you consider the best? I think it depends on what you're looking for. But you know, if you're looking for a beach vacation, I think Phuket is is where to go. Is that right? You're just walk, walking yeah. around the streets somewhere like Budapest or Prague. Um, but we can certainly pick up that topic in another podcast if you want. <laughs> yeah, we, that's, I do that actually at night. It's called the Traveler's Podcast, if you guys want to tune into that. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, do, uh, I did love the international scene and miss it. Um, some of those names, I, I, I admit I never got there. I'm anxious to get back. So we'll have to save it to another, another time, another topic. So let's get into the conversation at hand. So thinking about big deals, um, I want to take just one step back and start um, what, what, what do you feel like is different? You know, cause I feel like you've probably played a little bit in both worlds and, and certainly yep. specialized in bigger, but, uh, maybe in, in the American express, maybe there were some smaller, what's the difference between going after minnows versus going after whales at a high level? Yeah. So I, it, so I don't think about it necessarily is, um, minnows and whales, you know, when you're talking about deal size, right. I think about it more as company size, okay. right. So when I think about, when I think about my time at Cintas, which was a very, uh, you know, pound the pavement, uh, you know, how, how many dials can you make in an hour? How yeah. many cold calls can you do in a, in a day? Um, right. Those are, you know, that's about transactional volume selling. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's, you know, large deal selling, wh- you know, whether that's a, a million dollar deal or a hundred million dollar deal, if you're selling to big companies, uh, it, you know, it usually will take a similar amount of time regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I like to, right. I think large deal selling is more about large company, right. Selling to large companies and organizations, yeah. not deal size. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I've tried to break it down into a couple different categories. I mean, if you're talking about big deals, you maybe are looking at number of employees, you know, number of revenue, those are sometimes mm-hmm. good indicators. Another one is just sales cycle. That's more on your side of the, the street, but you know, if you've got a 90 day or six, 180 day sales cycle, you're probably considered a big deal. So I like the, and I don't know if there's any good date on this, but in my, my experience, Jason, I've said, if you're selling something that's over 50 million, um, if you are selling to the space of actually even over a hundred employees now, sometimes people feel that's a little bit low, but over a hundred employees and your sales cycle is over 90 days, that often for me triggers kind of a, okay, this person is playing in this space of kind of bigger deals. I don't know if you've had, mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of threw out a couple numbers. Is there any kind of best thoughts on what is considered big versus small, or is it really just kind of the way you need to go about it? Yeah. So I, I guess I, you know, I, and I thought about this a lot before the call, I think it, b- big deal selling is very different in every company, right? A big deal right. at a big, a big deal at, at Gallup, for instance, you know, is different than a big deal at American Express, yeah, right? Great point. Um, and so, it, you know, again, I, I don't think necessarily about big deals as this specific as thing amount. That specific, yeah, yeah. You, might, you might be, you might work at a twenty-five person company, and a, a big deal for you guys is two hundred k. That's right. Right. Um, but a big deal for right Amex is you know billion dollars. Um, so, you know, I, I guess it's more about the sales cycle and the approach to selling something that is right large uh, for you. I love it. I love it. I think that's good context because each person's going to look at this slightly different. You've got a couple different ways you can glance at it. But I do think sometimes the problem we run into in sales is 
Um, you, you know, I, I think in a business you can have both. You can have both transactional sales and relational yep. sales, and you don't want to yep. be. I've run into businesses that maybe should be transactional, quote unquote, pounding the phone, and they're trying to be, you know, these big sales deals. And it's like, guys, you can do one call closes. Let's just let's take what's given to us. So. Don't be afraid to have both, but I think it's important that you think about as big deal sales come, what are some of the parameters that would meet that? And then we'll follow Jason's recipe here as we get into it. So let's get out yeah, of the Yeah, if I could add to that, Gabe. Oh, go ahead. If I could add to that real quick, you know, even within a company, right, you, you might have sales folks that are focused on bigger deals, right, right. and given more time to work those deals and uh, transactional sales force. Yeah. And I do think surprisingly, Jason, that's... Uh, I feel like people think they got to go one way or the other, and my, my experience says you don't. You, you can absolutely have both, but I do like the idea of actually specializing that out. I like having five guys do the transactional because it's such a different mentality, and I like you know the other five people doing this kind of relational because, again, it's yep. just a different sales cycle motion, et cetera. So keep that in the back pocket. Let's move from kind of the why and the what. I want to get into the little bit of how. I mean, you've been doing this a long time. I consider you uh, one of the better salespeople I've run into, part of because the kind of the methodical and logical way you've approached different deals that I've seen you work on, obviously mostly in our Gallup days. But start at the beginning. How do you start thinking about winning or preparing or getting in the mindset of winning these bigger deals? Yeah. Well, um, you know, you're... I think the mind, you know, the mindset is uh, just like any sales rep, right? I, I I don't live unless I sell, right? So, you know, put <laughs> put that as a common, you know, commonplace uh, amongst all deals. I think about big deals as kind of three categories. Um, I think about new, new, and that's a new logo to the business. I think about kind of expansion or call it, you know, new product, you know, selling within a current client. And then I also think about it because some of these take years to develop, right? Lost accounts or lost RFPs, Mm -hmm. right? And so for each of those categories, I think those three categories, um, you know, I think, I, I think a little differently, but pretty similarly across, you know, how I communicate with, you know, with a particular client and it all starts with right preparation and and targeting. And so I'll kind of kick it back to you if, if you want to get deep into that topic, or if you want to talk about one of those three types of deals, new, new kind of expansion or or recent loss. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the new, new expansion just for a second. Then I want to get back to preparation and targeting because I do think it's interesting. Do you find, or has most of your experience been that as a sales rep, you are handling kind of all three of those? And, and would you, you alluded to it a little bit, but do you take a fairly similar approach with each of them or do you consider those pretty different sales motions? Yeah, I I take a pretty similar approach, although with Right with an expansion, um, you know, or if this is the lost account, right? We might have some uh, some relationships that exist today, so I'll want to leverage those relationships or understand at least what mm-hmm. those relationships looks like, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, um, different than a new, new. Got but it. but then once I understand those, right? Then I think the you know the actual uh, process itself is is fairly similar. Okay, so let, let let's dive into that because I do think it's an interesting debate to see. You know, I feel like in the larger, well, maybe you could just answer this just for yourself. Currently yeah. in your role, do you handle all three of those sales motions or do you partner with somebody who handles kind of the um, upsell, cross-sell expansion kind of model? You, do you only do net new or do you kind of handle them all? Yeah, currently it's it's net new. Um, I, I've done uh, kind of that, se- you know, that second, right, where I'm net new and partner with maybe an existing account, you know, management team. Yeah. Okay. 
Interesting. So as you think about then the sales motion that you typically go into, you mentioned preparation and targeting. Um, it's funny. This is a word like identify your target accounts. I feel like it's a buzzword. It's something that people are like, oh, yeah, 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 I got it. But I don't know if people know t- tangibly how to do it or if it's an easy enough exercise because I do feel like going in and consulting companies that there is a little bit of a misnomer or there's an argument. I, I was in a company in Boston and one sales rep said, no, 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 we should be going after, you know, like these people at a company, you know, uh, the operations. The other person said we should be going after IT. And I could tell that around target contacts and accounts, there was maybe a little bit of a, a, a miscommunication on what is best. How do you think about that exercise as a sales rep? Yeah, so two things. I mean, one, right, what what has bred success in the past, right? If if your success has been reached through treasury professionals or procurement professionals or you know, HR leaders, whatever you're selling, um, if if you know there's a past indication that a particular function works, right, I would start with that function. Um, having said that, if you're going for a new new deal, um, you know, anyone who's willing to talk to you and willing to be, you know, either a champion or help you make some other introductions is a win, right? It's a win in that process. And because these deals take so long, you've got to create wins in your own head because you're not getting a contract signed every day. One of those wins is someone is actually going to talk to me, right? Whether they're an ops or IT or whatever. Um, And so, uh, you know, first go with what you know probably works, but second, yeah, just try to get in with anyone that might tangentially touch the solution that you're trying to sell. Yes, sometimes. Ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, right? You're ultimately you're you might sell to to someone who's signing the contract, but ultimately there's probably in a big deal, um, seven or eight people from multiple functions that have to be bought in, and it and and will have some uh, touch points with either implementation, execution. Um, you know, their own customer reach out mm-hmm. as to how this might impact their own customers. So, you know, any way you can get in the door is a win. Do you feel like, I mean, there is a debate sometimes around kind of top down or bottom up, right? So you mentioned that stat yeah. and there's some good info about it. I mean, a lot of studies say five plus, seven plus, you know, people in this buying group have got to be involved in order to kind of move forward. Um, but you know, sometimes I had one person tell me it's such a waste to kind of go bottom up, meaning start with the, the director and, you know, see if you can't work your way up to the SVP. Do you feel like you've had success both ways or do you feel like there's kind of some tricks to do one or the other? Where, where would you put yourself or recommend people put themselves? Yeah. So I, I will, I'll say this for most of the biggest deals I've sold, I've never talked to anyone in the C-suite. Um, and again, I'm talking to Fortune five. I'm talking to Fortune 500 companies. The C-suite is not always available, right? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not selling. I'm not selling to what? medium business, right? Well, I'm not. I'm not selling to medium-sized organizations, right? And so, where where the CFO might be available if they're a hundred million dollar company, right? If they're you know thirty billion, I'm not getting to that person. Um, and, and so, so I, I do feel like I actually wrote on my board and prep for this, right? I said, don't call the C-suite unless it's a last resort. Now, again, you can. You, you can change that strategy if it's a small, medium-sized business, but if it's a you know Fortune 1000, I'd say um, you want to get ground-level support and buy-in before you're going you know up the chain, um, and because the process takes so long. And so I, I do find my initial outreach is to you know directors, senior directors, VPs, um, the folks that actually will have to get that cross-functional buy-in. 
before anything is taken to someone in the C-suite for signature. I, I mean, I think that's a real, it's an interesting approach. I mean, I think it goes against some of the people I've talked to, but again, you know, to each their own. Um, I yeah. think there's some real merit in it. Do you feel like because you take often this, I'm just calling it a bottom-up approach. It's not truly uh-huh. from the bottom, but maybe from the sure. lower lower middle. Um, do you do you map that out to start? I mean, do you look at an account, let's say, like XYZ Company, and do you say, okay, here is the CFO, here's what I think the cross-functional relationship or buy-in groups. Think. Okay, I got to be... Do you kind of map that out to start, or do you just start kind of hunting and pecking? Well, what's the way to build that uh, collaboration out? Yeah. So really my, you know, my start process and, and typically it's right. I've been assigned um, a, a list of, of clients to go after. Right. So I've got kind of this protected list. Um, the, the way I approach it is uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pick on maybe one or two functions that I really want to go after. Um, so whatever those functions are for whatever, you know, the listeners are, are, are targeting one or two functions identify right a few people that are VP or director level you know functions in in those uh, businesses and I'm gonna you know take a kind of a week to um, you know hit a few different ones each day mm-hmm. um, so send a couple emails follow up with phone calls um, before I do any of that though I'm doing a, a you know a bit of research we can talk about what that means but a bit of research on the company and how I actually you know go to market with that email or that phone call Um but I, you know, I'm just picking about eight to twelve people that I think are core to uh, the conversation that I want to have. Got it. Interesting. So, uh, and I don't mean to keep taking you off off topic. This is I no, appreciate fine. kind of the the interesting dialogue. Um, I wanted I do want to get into this research, Pete. You brought it up. I, w- I want to hit that because you 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 hit the preparation. You hit some targeting. Um, but I I want to get to maybe number two on the list. But before we do research, what, what what does research look like for you? Is there kind of tried and true places that you found or would recommend sales reps hit in order to kind of build this kind of internal knowledge? Yeah. So again, if we're thinking about right for the most part, I'm I'm speaking for public companies for the most part. Um, you know, if you think about public companies, the research I'll do is a review of the 10K, and I'm not saying you have to go read everything in right the 10K. But there are going to be specific, you know, points that are or, or, or segments that are interesting to you and, and the solution you have and, and what you're selling. So what I like to do in the 10K is I like to read right the CEO's letter gives me an idea of hey, what's their, you know, their five letter acronym for their strategy. Right. Mm. How, how does my, you know, how does my uh, solution set or my value play into that strategy? Um, what are they, you know, trying to do in this next year? It just gives in a in a few pages. It gives really concrete information on how you might think about the value proposition you have and how you target. Then I usually go to a website. Probably a lot of folks might know it, but if you don't, it's called SeekingAlpha.com. Mm. Great, uh, great source. You know, uh, all you need is a username and sign on. You don't have to pay for anything, but a great source for news articles, uh, financial professionals writing you know, articles about companies, as well as uh, transcripts. So you've got quarterly transcripts there that you can read through. And I love to read through those transcripts. I love to read through the, um, the Q&A that the analysts do, because oftentimes right, you'll pick up a few things that you might uh, either uh, you know, add to your email, add to your cold call um, as kind of points of you know, showing that you've done your research, right? Mm-hmm. And showing that you've invested some time before you made the call. Um, that, you know, before I make first call, th- that's probably it. I might, you know, look at their website, understand their brands, but don't spend a ton of time you know, on the research until you get a meeting, 
right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do do enough to get to get you in the door to show that you've done some research, but don't don't overdo it to where you can't get out right enough yeah. uh, of the outreach to get some momentum on on numbers. Yeah, I mean that's funny. That's kind of a small thing, but I think it turns actually into a pretty big thing. I, you know, sometimes you want to be the smartest person in the room, and as we think about small deals. I think people can they feel more comfortable getting away with little or minimal research. When it comes to big deals, I kind of feel like these sales reps feel like they've got to know the company better than, you know, the leader I'm reaching out to before I even do my first phone call. And I I think I appreciate that comment of be dangerous but don't be lethal, you know? I mean, know know enough about them to not look like a total idiot, right? But at the yeah. same point, you know, you could spend these hours and hours building these kind of pursuit per- strategies or pursuit plans, and it's like you never even got yes. in the door. And I feel like that happens more more often than not. So I can appreciate that. So we got we t- we talk a little bit about preparation. We talked talk a little about targeting and, and research. Get into this concept of internal alignment and setting realistic expectations because I feel like sometimes when we think about resources and what needs we have, we run into a bad place. Yeah. So I think it's it's twofold, right? I think. <clears throat> For the for the alignment, I'm really talking about um, I'm really talking about those expansionary deals, right? Where you are having to partner with someone in account management who might uh, feel like they own the they own the account today, right? And so they feel like they own the relationships. Um, and, and so unless you've proven to them that you're going to be an asset in a meeting, you know they're likely not necessarily going to you know they're not going to go out and invite you, right? Uh, your goal as a sales rep is to get to a quarterly meeting or quarterly update and be the one that provides some new information different than what the account manager has provided in the past and use that as a way to segue, you know, segue into maybe a different function, a uh, different product set that you might have. But, you know, you've got to get some internal, right, some internal buy-in first. And so that's what I mean by internal alignment is um, for those deals where there's a lot of opportunity, you might have a little business with a company, but you know there's a good opportunity to grow it. Uh, get just just get with you know don't be cold calling um, when your account manager doesn't know about it already. Mm, uh, you, you can play you can play good cop bad cop all day long, where you might cold call without you know acting as if the account manager doesn't know you are, <laughs> um, right? But but you still you know and you've got to preserve their relationships, but you've got to be on the same page with them. Otherwise, you get cut off real easy. And if fifty percent of your account list is you know current customer who needs to grow. Um, you know, you're, you're cutting off 50% of your opportunities by not getting that internal alignment first. Yeah. Do you feel like Uh, on on this alignment piece, the thing where my mind went was it seems like on big deals to your point about kind of sales and customer success or that expansion person that oftentimes big deals can't be one alone. Do you find, even as you go after new logo that you have to have, um, marketing support or a, or a field engineer or, you know, in each business it's different. Maybe you get the customer success person in early. What does that pursuit team usually look like? Or do you even need a team? Can you handle it typically on your own? Yeah, I know. I don't think any large deal can be won necessarily on your own. I think it's, it's dependent on where you are relative to understanding the, the company and the product you're selling. Right. Um, and so, you know, early on at, at, at some companies, you know, I've used a support team more early in the sales process than when I was two, three years into it. And I could maybe play that person's role as well. Right. I could answer the tech uh, questions to yeah. a, a certain extent. So I, I always want to own as much as I can, because I feel like I can then kind of control the messaging and, and it can do it in a way that is, 
you know, is the way I, I think like it should go. Like a true However, salesperson, though. That's a true salesperson. Because isn't there something true yep. about that? I, I want you to finish, but sometimes I feel like, I mean, I had a sales rep. God, this is probably just a couple of weeks ago. I was with a, a group of sales reps, and one of them said, you know, when I go to these meetings, I'm just the guy who brings the lunch and, and the strategic right. consultant and the sales engineer or technology engineer. Right. They kind of run the meeting, and I was like, it felt wrong. You know, it kind of felt yeah. like... You, I mean, I get the joke, but I was like, oh, there's some truth to that. And it's embarrassing. Is it, or is that okay to have the sales rep just be the, the, the person who gets well, the line? This, this, this is just, you know, my opinion, right? Um, it, if you're, you know, past kind of three to six months in your job and you're not running the show um, and kind of being, you know, the conductor of the orchestra, um, you're not doing your job, yeah, right? Uh, now if you, if you're three months in, you don't know kind of how to answer, you know, you're just trying, you're only doing big sales, you know, so you're only getting a couple meetings a month. You yeah. don't know how to answer the tech questions. You don't know how other companies have done this before. You don't know how an implementation works. I, I get that, but you still want to be the, or, you know, the, the kind of the conductor saying, Hey, you know, uh, Joe, can you answer that question? Right. Or can, Hey, you know, you're bringing the right people to the stage. Um, you lean on them a little more early on. Uh, and then, you know, again, similar to the alignment I mentioned earlier, right? Those people have to, should be internally aligning to you. I mean, if I have support people who I don't think are top notch, they're going to have less of a role than the people I think are top notch. Right. Um, and I'm going to give that, I'm going to give them more leeway in a particular meeting that I invite them to, if I think they're, they're really good or they're not as good. And so I think as a salesperson, it's, it's your, it's your sale. You got to control the the orchestra, however you best you think that that orchestra should play. Yeah. And you know, this is, this is, I think where one, I think people get trip, tripped up uh, to your point. Sometimes you're new, sometimes you've just delegated so much, but I, I feel like, again, I'll go to our space, but sometimes we, we, we rely too much on, you know, you have like these, these sales engineers and, and I'm sure some are listening. They're great people. Don't get me wrong. But if they just turn out to be a demo monkey, you know, they just kind of end up demoing your technology or your resources. It, yeah. It's like, can you really not lead like a strategic guidance of our product? You really just need somebody there just to, so I, I, I get nervous sometimes because I feel like we chop the legs off sales reps and we, we give them all these added value resources. And I do believe you need some, but at the same point to your concept on orchestration, it's just a balance there of how much power you give up to the, the rest of the group. I want to, Jason, there's so yeah. much more to cover. I know we're, we're, we're getting a little lower on time, but I, I want to get to kind of your, some of these other, these other points we had talked about in pre-show. One is um, this value around kind of getting material around your research. Can you, can you touch on that again? I, I want to be conscientious of the time, but jump into this value add and how you can be present in both pre-meetings as well as in meetings. Um, yeah, so I think, um, what I, what I, I think I mean by that way you know, value, right. Value add is right. A it goes back to some of the research, right. What are the, what are the, what are the things that got you that meeting in the first place? Right. Was it a focus on a particular metric? Um, if so, right. How have you helped other companies, you know, improve that metric? Right. And so I think we have a lot in the sales space. There's a lot of you know, here's our company, here's our product, here's all the logos that we do. Right. Um, you know, and it's got to be accompanied and, and everyone listening probably knows this. It's got to be accompanied by kind of an ROI, but you know, proof of ROI, right. Not, mm. um, 
and it's got to be specific to that, you know, to that company. So if I'm talking to a hundred billion dollar revenue company versus ten billion dollar revenue company, you know, I, I want my numbers, my ROI to look scaled, yeah. right, to that to that company. And so it's just, I think it's under just understanding the audience. Um, but see, I think that, you know, I, I think that takes yeah. it to another level because a lot of a lot of people I don't think realize that actually the ROI is important. Um, you know, there'll be more in the what, what we do and what features we have and what logos we work with. Um, but you've added, so I think a lot of people just, number one, don't even get that, the, that we could create an ROI or a value assessment for the client. But number two, you're, you're kind of even taking it to the next level. You're saying, hey, let's find a way to take that and actually make it scalable, re- relevant to them so we don't look like idiots when we actually present it. Is that correct? Yeah, and usually, right, that can be one of your wins. I mean, and depending on what you're selling, right, you're going to have um, an NDA signed at some point, and you're probably going to extract some data, whatever that data might look like. Uh, and you want to, you know, use that data, right, when you come back to them that, you know, it's meaningful, it's theirs. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of huge. marketing. There's a lot of marketing material. Um, marketing material, I think, is good for for – uh, trade shows. It's good yeah. for, um, you know, it, it, it's good. It's good for transactional selling in a big sale. I don't think it's really that helpful, right? You're, you're going to get in the door based on your own merit, your own call, your own, you know, email that is based in research. Yep. And then when you get, you know, when you get in the door, right, you, you don't need marketing material. You need kind of value add material, I guess is what I'm, you know, is, is where that goes. Interesting. So moving away, how, how do you, cause I love the idea. I mean, we call it a value assessment uh, or a blueprint exercise here at InsideSales.com where we'll literally, to your point, kind of extract data, get the NDA and build this kind of plan ROI that's all tailored to them. Um, but um, <laughs> Do you feel like when it comes to these bigger deals, this concept on um, marketing material versus value material, does the rep have to kind of create that themselves because it's so kind of personalized based on some research and they take some from marketing or do you get it from marketing? How do you get that value added material? It's it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. So, so a lot of the times I'd say, uh, you know, going back to your conversation right around, you know, the re- the resources you use and, and, you know, people you're bringing to a meeting, um, the way I, you know, I, I've liked to approach, uh, I, call, I guess we'll call it, I'm calling it value added material here. Um, the way I like to approach that is the way I like to approach it is, is have people internally help me develop, right? This, the story if possible, right? So there might be some folks, right? I get a spend file or, um, you know, I get some piece of information and, you know, our, our company itself, uh, whether it's Amex, you know, Gallup, C2FO, Inside Sales, you know, you've got a process for distilling that information into, you know, something that is going to be meaningful to the, you know, the prospect. Uh, that That's great. That's great use of your internal resources, but then you don't need that internal resource to join you in that meeting to explain that, right? You as the salesperson need to understand that information back and forward, you know, uh, back and forward be, before you go into that meeting. So you're the one explaining it and you are the expert in the room, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot more leaning on the internal, I think, when we're crafting the story. But I wanted to then deliver that story and I might have, you know, one or two people on the phone or, or they're just, you know, in case I need to pawn off a question. Got it. Um, but that's, I think, where I go back to um 
you know, how, how to use folks during the process. That's right. That's right. So I want to move down to kind of the end of the sales process. We've been focusing a little bit at the beginning, but as you think about steps in your process and, and how people huh. can kind of navigate those and then ultimately bring it to close, um, how would you kind of wrap this up thinking about th- those two steps? Yeah. So, so if I'm going through, you know, what, what I think the steps are of a, a you know, getting in front of and closing a large deal from start to finish, if that's okay. Right. Um, you know, it, it is your initial prospecting, you get a meeting. Uh, you're probably at that point, there's either interest or no interest, right? And if there's no interest, you know, you, you got to know, you kind of have to have some, some, some way of knowing that so that you don't waste your time, right? Moving forward. Um, but you're going to get an NDA signed if there's interest probably for some data, or you're going to get a next meeting with some more stakeholders, you're probably going to have two or three, you know, more meetings, if not more, um, with additional stakeholders, with you know ROI, you know, value, um, maybe some initial, you know, uh, conversations about the commercial aspect of the deal, and then you're going to present a contract, right, and kind of see how that goes over, <laughs> and then, then you know, kind of how you know how 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 close you are, um, and if you know, then you're just working on the red lines. Um, you know, then, then, you know, you're, you're making progress. Right. But the, the key thing, I think I, I'd say, it, you know, if that's kind of the process to getting contract signature, I mean, everything happens after contract signature, right? So um, you can sign as many contracts as you want. And we all know people who, who have, right. uh, but, actually, but actually getting revenue in the door is a totally different animal. Um, and so being a part of the implementation, you know, understanding implement implementation, what, you know, what works, what doesn't, the pitfalls, um, it, you know, and again, depending on your internal resources and how new or, or uh, tenured they are, right, you might want to be there a little longer. No one cares about your paycheck, like you care about your paycheck. And the only way you're getting it is that revenue comes in the door. So, um, you know, be, be involved in implementation. Don't do the implementation, hopefully, because you've got to be prospecting again and going through that, that process again. Um, but that's the process for me. You know, you're, you're prospecting, you get a meeting, you get some data, you have a couple more meetings, you present a contract, you get it signed, and you implement. Yeah, interesting. Um, and then last but not least, to kind of bring it to, to the end here, any thoughts or opinions on thinking of kind of this once the business closes, if you sometimes people get stuck in, you know, there's this, it's like this limbo state where, We've presented all yep. our business case. We presented it, and I never hear from them for three months. You know, any, any yep. thoughts on kind of just bringing that to the close once you've run through your kind of optimal sales process? Yeah. So two things. One, if, if your company is okay beginning implementation and getting resources assigned while you're doing red lines, um, that is a great way to kind of hold right to hold the customer accountable to. A, getting the contract actually signed and, and speeding the implementation, right? So if you can do that, if you can kind of say, hey, listen, I'm going to present this contract. In the meantime, I've got XYZ resources assigned to start implementation. We're thinking about a kickoff date of X. How does that work for you and your team? Um, if you can get that going before you've even got a contract signed, then then you kind of eliminate that fear of, hey, something came up, right? And we've got to change our you know, we've got to change our priorities right now. And so we'll come back to this in six months. If you've, pre- if you've presented a contract and, you know, you, you're, you're then getting 
you know, zero uh, from anyone that you've talked to through this process, then, um, you know, if it's three months down the road, I mean, then you probably are not getting a contract there, right? Or you need to kind of go back to prospecting in a different function or, I mean, it, again, it, sometimes sales is, you got to know when you, you're not going to get moved forward, <laughs> even though you've so gotten so far. Yeah, part of the gut. Uh, that, that they, the reason they pay yeah. us the big bucks, right? Interesting. You, you got to cut cut your losses. Cut your loss and move on. And man, sometimes that's the hardest part, right? You put so much effort into. Yeah. It. In fact, I was that was I was a little late to our meeting today with Jason because we I was I'm working a deal with the sales rep, and it's kind of those we we're thrown out of hell Mary, and part of me thought, God, maybe we should, maybe we should just be cut our losses and not be wasting time. Hey, but. On that topic, though, Gabe, if I can say real quick, you know, we haven't talked about RFPs, which oftentimes are part of a large deal, right? Um, not many people can walk away from an RFP, right? You get all excited, and, you know, oh, it's you know, it's a fifty million dollar RFP, and this is great, and oh man, if you haven't had a meeting before that RFP comes out, you are you are only invited to see what price you put on the piece of paper. <laughs> and so, if I can give one piece of advice, I mean, if you haven't had a meeting yet. Um, your response should be, hey, we, we don't participate in this RFP uh, or RFPs in general until we've had a, a face-to-face discussion, well, that's even if it's just for 30 minutes. Now, it's tough, but you're not going to win it anyway, Gabe. That's true. I mean, you're, true. you're not. Unless you, you've developed something so far superior to what they're either using today or what your competition has, um, or your price is, you're just going to buy the business on price, yeah. you're not winning it, right? You have no relationship. So, so to spend all of this time on an RFP, you know, it, you might as well say, "Hey, I'm going to save you reading, you know, the time of reading all the pages." Can we have a 30-minute meeting to find out if our two organizations are aligned on on actually, you know, going through this RFP process together? What this is and what it's not. Yeah, I mean, you must have done. Did you do a few of those at Gallup? I've done a few RFPs, and it seems like we did. Uh, <laughs> we did. We sometimes we we push back. Sometimes we gave in. It's an interesting. An interesting debate. Are you still doing a lot? Of, I assume you did a couple of those at Gallup, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I've done them, you know, anywhere wow. I've been. Um, uh, but you know, the the success that I've had has been, you know, in in getting a getting a, either ahead of the RFP or just you know getting in there so that there's not an RFP, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, um, that, kind of, that's a whole nother topic. Is that's probably another topic. episode in of itself, right? I mean, how to handle the RFP because, like you said, if you get ahead of it uh, and you actually define, there's been a few times where we've basically defined the RFP, right? We wrote it ourselves, and and guess who won? Um, it, it, there's there's probably some strategies around. Right. That. Well, uh, Jason, man, interesting conversation around thinking strategically, tactically, even about how to win big deals. Appreciate you jumping on. Any kind of closing remarks or final words for the audience? Um, no, I appreciate your, your time, Gabe. If, uh, if anyone has any questions, certainly you can reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, happy to uh, make connections anywhere possible and um, love listening to the podcast. So keep it going. Appreciate it, man. Um, so uh, thanks for taking the time. And, and with that, uh, for the audience, remember success is just one play away. <laughs>